Hey everybody, producer Trevor here. I just wanted to check in about yesterday's episode of Tangle on the Colorado Springs shootings. Uh, as many of you noticed, there was a clerical error in its upload. The episode was labeled correctly, but contained the wrong audio. That is my bad. Uh, Isaac is always open and transparent about the mistakes that he makes on Tangle, so I aim to do the same. Uh, we caught the problem pretty quickly on our end. But these changes take a little bit longer to implement themselves on the front end before they actually land in your feed. So your patience is super appreciated with this issue. If the correct audio, if the correct episode hasn't appeared in your feed yet, keep checking back in because it certainly will at some point today. It's a great episode, lots of super useful and informative content that I would hate for you to miss out on because of an error. Thank you as always for your support. And here's Isaac. From executive producer Isaac Saul, this is Tangle. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, a place where you get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking without all that hysterical nonsense you find everywhere else. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the protests in China, which are a pretty big deal, not just in China, but of course, all across the world. Before we jump in, though, I want to acknowledge that today is Giving Tuesday, and I have a little plan about how to do something nice to celebrate. Over the Thanksgiving weekend, I caught up with an old family friend who is now running an organization called the Double Trellis Food Initiative, or DTFI, that is trying to sustainably address food insecurity in Philadelphia, which is the city that I live in. Since June of 2020, he and his team have cooked and distributed over 25,000 meals and delivered 35,000 pounds of groceries to Philadelphians at zero cost to those in need. This is a, a tremendous accomplishment in America's poorest large city, where 23% of residents were living in poverty as of 2019. I suspect that number is even higher now after some of the COVID stuff has happened. Since it is Giving Tuesday, I would like to help him in two ways. First, please consider donating to DTFI directly. There is a link to do this in today's episode description. Food insecurity is one of the biggest problems in America, but has little to do with food availability. So it's also one of the easiest to solve by helping feed those in need. DTFI is on the ground doing good work. Any donation you can offer is appreciated. Second, if you want and are not yet a Tangle subscriber, for the next 24 hours, I will be donating 100% of all new Tangle subscription revenue to DTFI. So if you go subscribe to Tangle right now for $50 a year, that $50 will go directly to DTFI. All the money donated is going to expand DTFI's meals program and also help fund a job training program for formerly incarcerated residents of Philadelphia. Thank you for the support and uh, happy Giving Tuesday. All right, so with that out of the way, we'll start off today with our quick hits. First up, Representative Donald McEachin, the Democrat from Virginia, unexpectedly died of colorectal cancer at the age of 61 yesterday, just weeks after being reelected. Number two, 
The shooter in the Buffalo, New York supermarket mass shooting has pled guilty to terrorism and murder charges. Ten people died in the shooting, all of whom were black. Number three, for the first time since 1984, Hawaii's Mauna Loa volcano started erupting. It's the largest active volcano in the world, but so far the lava is not threatening any communities. Number four, Elon Musk says Apple has threatened to remove Twitter from the App Store. Number five, this afternoon, the Senate is expected to vote on codifying same-sex marriage into law. If the bill passes, it will go back to the House for a final vote and may end up on President Biden's desk by the end of the week. Extraordinary protests and outrage are spreading across China over Xi Jinping's strict COVID lockdown policies. As the world grows more concerned about a recession, and since China is the world's number one manufacturer... The protests were triggered by a deadly fire Thursday at an apartment building in Urumqi, the capital of the far western province Xinjiang. Tonight, acts of defiance not seen in a generation. Massive protests spreading across China. And take a look at this tonight, why they're now holding up uh, these blank sheets of paper, the message these protesters are trying to send to the world. Is a symbol of anti-censorship. Over the last week, unprecedented protests against COVID-19 lockdowns have been breaking out in China. The protests are erupting in major cities and universities across the country and being shared on social media platforms like TikTok, an unusual sign of unbridled public anger toward the Chinese government. Demonstrations happened over the weekend in China's largest cities like Beijing, population 21 million, and Shanghai, population 26 million, as well as Nanjing, population 8.5 million, Wuhan, population 11 million, and Urumqi, population 3.5 million, the capital of Xinjiang. The protests appear to have started in Urumqi on Friday after a deadly fire broke out in an apartment complex in an area where residents have been under lockdown for more than 100 days. Residents flooded social media with comments alleging that the COVID restrictions had delayed an emergency response to the fire, which contributed to the deaths of 10 people, including three children. It is not rare to see open displays of protests in China, though they are typically small and focused on local grievances. What is unusual is multiple protests occurring across several major cities and focused on the policies of the national government. President Xi has overseen a crackdown on political dissent over the last decade. Many dissidents and protesters are sure to face prison time and will be easily identified thanks to the vast surveillance structure China has created in their major cities. In Shanghai, China's most populous city, protesters chanted things like We Want Freedom and Unlock Xinjiang, Unlock All of China. Some even called for President Xi Jinping to step down. Thousands of social media videos from across the country have shown protesters clogging roadways and shouting for lockdowns to be lifted. The slogan, I want to see a movie, has become a rallying cry for grassroots protesters, emphasizing a desire to return to normal life. China has implemented a zero-COVID policy throughout the pandemic that requires stringent lockdowns anytime an outbreak occurs. Unlike lockdowns in the United States, which relied mostly on convincing the public to stay home as a matter of safety, lockdowns in China have involved strictly enforced curfews and limits on travel. People who test positive for COVID-19 are often isolated and sent to quarantine centers where they can recover, while government officials and police have even resorted to sealing the doors of apartment buildings to keep people locked inside. Many residents in major cities must take regular coronavirus tests 
and have their movements surveilled in the name of preventing outbreaks. Despite that, on Saturday, officials in China reported an all-time high of nearly 40,000 new cases. Virologists suspect the latest outbreak is because of low levels of natural immunity among the 1.4 billion Chinese residents, as well as less effective domestically produced coronavirus vaccines that the Chinese government has distributed. Markets dipped on Monday, a sign investors expect this wave of COVID-19 to again disrupt supply chains overseas. Protests against the government come just a month after China's Congress extended President Xi to his third five-year term. Xi had amended the Chinese constitution in 2018 to remove the two-term limit, extending his authoritarian rule over the country indefinitely. The outbreak of protests across the country appear to be the most significant protest against his leadership since he came to power in 2012. On Monday, China clamped down on the protests with police flooding sites across the country and arresting demonstrators. Simultaneously, online censorship ramped up, including China-directed bots that spammed Twitter searches for Chinese cities with explicit content to overwhelm the platform's moderation team. While the crackdown ensued, health authorities simultaneously relaxed some COVID-19 restrictions. Protesters in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Britain, Japan, the United States, and Canada have also hit the streets in solidarity with Chinese demonstrators. Today, we're going to take a look at some reactions from the right and the left, and then my take. First up, I'll point out some agreement. As you'll hear in a minute, many on both sides of the aisle support the protesters in China, hoping that President Xi resists a harsh crackdown and criticizes China's zero-COVID policy as an untenable and ineffective solution to the current pandemic. First up, we'll start with what the right is saying. Many on the right criticize the Chinese Communist Party, arguing that protests are about more than just COVID-19. Some say the Chinese people want democracy and the freedoms that many Westerners enjoy. Others argue that zero COVID was always unachievable and untenable. In the New York Post, Miles Yu said the protests in China aren't just about COVID-19. They are about a dictatorship. Last Thursday, a street protester in the hinterland metropolis, Chongqing, eloquently addressed a cheering crowd. There is only one type of disease in the world, lack of freedom and poverty. We have it both in China. After he quoted Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, repeatedly, the police tried to arrest him, only to be repulsed by an angry crowd who promptly overwhelmed the fully armed police and rescued the protester, you said. This is the source of both the Chinese regime's draconian conduct and the protests that erupted this past weekend. Neither is really about COVID. It's about the battle between communism and freedom. Mao's draconian great leap forward led to the deaths of more than 40 million Chinese people. Xi's draconian COVID-0 policy threatens to do the same. They are motivated by a purely totalitarian ideology, which assumes not only the complete malleability of nature, but the utter infallibility and invincibility of the party that could easily destroy nature and science, you wrote. Blinded by this radical utopian vision, the CCP is consistently callous toward its people's well-being, but this callousness has traditionally impacted more on migrant workers and the rural poor. This time, the party's all-encompassing COVID-0 lockdowns have affected the property-owning and educated middle class and the rich, and this brings with it unintended consequences. Millions of Chinese people across the nation, from all sections of the repressed country, are now willing to risk imprisonment, torture, and even death to stand up to their oppressors. 
In National Review, Jim Garrity asked bluntly, is Xi Jinping dumb? There are good reasons to fear China, Garrity said. The country has the largest standing military in the world and the world's largest navy. It is dramatically expanding its nuclear arsenal, its human rights record reads like a demon's resume, and it's currently committing genocide, but somehow its economic, diplomatic, and cultural power is so strong that the regime has defenders in the West who shrug off the ongoing use of concentration camps. The country has made little secret of its desire to conquer or, in its own words, unify with Taiwan by force. And in the last few years, you may have noticed that its virology labs don't seem all that safe and secure. But for all of the menacing, saber-rattling, relentlessness, and ruthlessness, Chinese ruler Xi Jinping and his surrounding yes-men also seem, well, kind of dumb sometimes. If not dumb, then they're prone to sticking with a decision or policy that isn't working, even as the evidence of how that decision or policy can't work piles up and the situation gets worse and worse, he said. The unsustainability and abusiveness of the draconian zero-COVID policies was self-evident from the first videos on social media of Wuhan officials welding the doors of apartment buildings shut, locking the residents inside during the first coronavirus outbreak. The Chinese Communist Party's zero-COVID policies envision the entire country as a prison, themselves as the wardens and guards and all other civilians as prisoners until further notice. The people who said zero-COVID doesn't work were right. The people who said zero-COVID works were wrong. We need a giant flashing neon sign in Times Square to ensure that everyone knows this and that no one forgets it. The Wall Street Journal editorial board called it China's revolt against zero COVID. COVID possesses a particular threat in China because the regime has advertised zero COVID as an example of the superiority of its communist system over messy Western democracy, the board said. The policy has kept the number of COVID deaths low compared to the West if you trust China's official statistics. But the lockdowns haven't been able to control COVID, only delay its spread. Nearly three years of lockdowns means the Chinese public has far less natural immunity. In their blinkered nationalism, Chinese leaders refuse to import Western mRNA vaccines. The domestic Sinovac vaccine offers less protection as the coronavirus mutates. China's elderly are especially vulnerable, and there is too little hospital space to accommodate seriously ill patients if the country eases COVID restrictions, the board said. The southern city of Guangzhou said this month it is building quarantine facilities and hospital beds for 250,000 people. Westerners who admire Chinese stability and central planning might consider that the government has had three years of COVID to prepare the hospital system. Rest assured, party commissioners in Beijing won't wait in line for an intensive care bed. Mr. Xi and the party will be ruthless in putting down protests if they continue. The party's security apparatus will use its monitoring ability and facial recognition to identify the participants, and many, if not all, of the demonstrators will be arrested in the days ahead. Many will simply disappear. Alright, that is it for what the right is saying, which brings us to what the left is saying. Many on the left worry about how she will react, but hope the protests continue. Some criticize the zero-COVID policy, saying it is no longer a tenable solution. Others say Xi faces a major dilemma on how to handle the protests. Jianli Yang, a former Tiananmen Square protester, said the protests have exceeded her expectations. The demonstrations began by expressing rage over harsh zero-COVID policies, but the protesters' demands quickly evolved into a movement demanding broader freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom from the dictates of the Communist Party, he wrote. I was there when the Chinese Communist Party sent in troops to gun down the protesters, 
and I fear that history can repeat itself today. The world should not underestimate the determination of Xi and the CCP to remain in power. The regime will make full use of all the resources at its disposal, including surveillance technology, the police, and the intelligence services. For that reason, the international community should make use of all the tools available to it and to support pro-democracy forces and to deter the Beijing regime from resorting to force. We hope that the protests will eventually yield the changes we seek. I see at least four conditions that must be simultaneously met for there to be a chance of achieving meaningful change in China, Yang said. First, the people must be strongly discontented with the political status quo. Second, a viable democratic opposition must arise. Third, a rift has to occur within the leadership of the CCP government. Fourth, the international community will have to believe that China's democratic opposition is viable and will opt to support it. Condition one has already been met. Condition two remains a dream for the moment, while condition three could yet occur if the protests continue. In Bloomberg, Matthew Brooker said she had a major dilemma, crack down or placate. It's unlikely a coincidence that frustration bubbled over just as China has begun to ease back on some of its most draconian restrictions. Earlier this month, the government released a list of 20 guidelines designed to lessen the economic and social impact, such as cutting the isolation periods for close contacts, Brooker wrote. The relaxation didn't meet the public's expectations, perhaps due partly to overstretched local officials failing to implement directives. This illustrates the dilemma for an authoritarian system that decides to loosen its grip. Like a crack opening in a dam, the suppressed pressure builds quickly. The result is a perilous situation to which the government will need to respond quickly. A swift adjustment that allows people on the ground to feel the promised easing of controls may be enough to defuse this outburst. The longer the unrest goes on, the more it spreads, and above all, the more overtly it targets the party and she, the greater the chance of a severe crackdown that would deal a blow to an already weakened economy and further damage investor confidence, Brooker said. Xi's instincts are to be uncompromising in dealing with any challenge to the party's grip on power. Just look at Hong Kong, which has had the freedom it was promised it could keep for 50 years substantially quashed since anti-government demonstrations in 2019. The risk is that a harsh approach generates its own reaction, trapping the country in a loop of escalating repression and resistance. The Guardian editorial board called it an extraordinary outpouring of discontent. At first, China's coronavirus strategy allowed most people to get on with life as usual, while other countries struggled with repeated lockdowns or high death tolls, or both. But it has long been clear that elimination is not feasible, and a policy now in its third year is causing increasing frustration and economic damage, leading to a growing number of local COVID-related protests, the board said. Chinese audiences watching the World Cup noted unmasked crowds celebrating and realized that plenty of places, not just the reckless United States, were living happily without such stringent controls. Then came reports that 10 people, including children, had been killed in a blaze while under lockdown in Xinjiang. Video showed a fire engine vainly trying to spray the building from a distance. Officials initially took a relatively hands-off approach, with a few detentions rather than a sweeping crackdown. Extensive surveillance makes later retribution straightforward. But if increased censorship and police presence don't see these protests off, worse may follow. The response in Xinjiang is likely to be harder than in prosperous Shanghai, the board noted. Those calling for looser controls can expect more lenience than those shouting opposed dictatorship. At the local level especially, there may be piecemeal concessions. The party does not rely solely on repression and propaganda, as potent as they are, but also on recognizing people's needs and interests and meeting some of them, even if belatedly and partially. Yet it has increasingly relied on toughness in recent years. 
All right, that is it for the left and writer saying, which brings us to my take. I think it's a beautiful thing. Whenever I flex my American exceptionalism muscles, I'm keen on pointing to other countries that even in 2022 have many fewer freedoms than we enjoy here in the United States. China is one of those countries. This is not to say life in China is bad or worse than the U.S. In many ways, for many people, I'm sure it's better. But it is to say that if you enjoy criticizing your government, choosing your political leaders, or expressing yourself publicly, there are few worse places to do it than cities like Beijing, which, of course, makes what the Chinese protesters are doing all the more admirable. For the last three years, they've been living through actual lockdowns, the kinds of draconian COVID-19 policies that were the stuff of American nightmares. Chinese residents were actually locked inside their homes, actually forced into isolation camps when they were sick, and actually forced to take vaccines. None of this was ever going to be tenable. I sincerely doubt China's public COVID-19 numbers are accurate, but even assuming they are, this outcome was predictable. At some point, the world was going to reopen, and a zero-COVID policy would mean a population with far less immunity than the ones around it. Say what you want about the failures of Moderna and Pfizer, but they are significantly better than the Sinovac China forced onto many of its citizens. If China had used Western vaccines or focused on vaccinating the elderly, it may have been able to come out of its current posture with less chaos. But it didn't, so it can't, at least not without the outbreaks and high-risk infections we are seeing now. This isn't to paint a picture of a citizenry totally in opposition to the zero-COVID policy. Plenty of people outside big cities can see the upside clearly. I'm sure there are residents inside China's biggest cities who are grateful one million people haven't died from or with COVID-19 like they have in countries like ours. But it is to say that the unrest, the outbreak, the tension, it was all predictable. Every single person who has hit the streets in protests is putting themselves at risk of imprisonment, fines, or worse. Whether she cracks down on those protesters is not really a question. What's curious is whether he will do it publicly, boldly, and violently, or whether it will happen retroactively and discreetly. Those crackdowns already appear to be ramping up, with a wave of arrests on Monday and one BBC reporter who was arrested and beaten over the weekend. My fervent hope for the Chinese demonstrators is that they get what they want, an easing of zero-COVID policies. With any luck, a successful demonstration that changes the public policy will lend credence to the viability of a democratic opposition in China. That is a longer-term, fanciful goal. But at the very least, even if they aren't allowed to criticize their government or hit the streets in opposition, the people of China should be able to leave their homes and enjoy the basic freedoms of a day-to-day life. Until then, protesters will and should keep the pressure on. If you are listening to this from China... Shoot me an email, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at readtangle.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you're thinking. All right, that is it for my take, which brings us to your questions answered. This was more of a statement from Michael in Wiley, Texas, but I got a few similar notes like this, so I wanted to address it. Michael said, the FBI defines a mass shooting as one where four or more people were killed, not just shot. This definition greatly decreases the number of mass shootings compared to the number you quote in the November 28th edition. The gun control advocates prefer the other definition because it helps them sensationalize mass shootings. For fact-based commentary on firearms ownership, mass shootings, and other firearm-related crimes that affect the gun control laws, I highly recommend the Crime Prevention Research Center site founded by John Lott. 
Okay, Michael, so this isn't a question, but it is a similar comment to some of the other comments I got in response to yesterday's newsletter, so I did want to address it. To be blunt, I think the definition I use is a lot better than yours. For starters, just in case there's an implication here that I was somehow misleading our readers or listeners, I was clear yesterday that my definition of a mass shooting was the number of people shot, not the number of people killed. That's what the Gun Violence Archive uses, and I think it is a good benchmark. I'm not sure if you have ever been shot. I can't say that I have. But I imagine the impact of being the victim of a mass shooting and surviving it is a pretty life-altering event. The argument that we should limit the definition of mass shootings in America to the ones that actually kill four or more people is quite specious to me. I'd argue passionately that surviving being shot in a mass shooting event should not mean you don't count in the tally of people who were victims of mass shootings. In fact, I suggest there's a better argument that people who witnessed the mass shooting without being shot should be counted as victims than there is that people who survived being shot shouldn't. As for Lott, I do agree that a lot of his work in this space is valuable. It's good context to add. But he also has a much less reliable data set than the one I'm citing. This is pretty easy to check. For instance, he cites just four mass shootings in 2022, which, as you note, are supposed to be defined by four or more people being killed. But when I looked at his data set, he doesn't even include several of the deadliest shootings so far this year. There is no listing of the Club Q shooting, which is now over a week old, where five people were killed. Nor does he include the Walmart shooting in Chesapeake, Virginia, where six people were killed. Nor does he include shootings in Highland Park, Illinois, where seven were dead, Heartland, Wisconsin, where six were dead, Sacramento, California, where six were dead, or Raleigh, North Carolina, where five were killed. These are just a few from the last couple months that I briefly cross-checked and did not find in his dataset. In other words, Lott's work on gun and crime and politics is often worthwhile, but his datasets on mass shootings are not as reliable as the ones I'm using. And I find the idea that a mass shooting must include four people dying and not four people being shot very unconvincing. All right, that is it for our reader question, which brings us to our Under the Radar section. Last year, the assassination of Haiti's president set off a new wave of terror across the Caribbean nation. Conditions have plunged to horrifying new lows, with gangs carrying out extreme violence in the streets. Fearing that a humanitarian crisis could spur a mass migration to the U.S., some top Biden administration officials are pushing to send a multinational armed force to the country. The United States doesn't want its own troops included in that force, though and they are struggling to convince any other nations to lead the way. The New York Times has this story, and there's a link to it in today's episode description. Next up is our numbers section. The number of COVID-19 cases on Monday in China is 40,347. The number of fatalities from COVID-19 that China has reported since the beginning of the pandemic is 5,233. The number of COVID-19 cases with symptoms that China has reported as of November 28th was 315,248. The total population of China is 1.412 billion people. The age of President Xi is 69, and the years he has served as the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party is now 10. All right, last but not least, our Have a Nice Day section. This is actually just a reminder to support Double Trellis Food Initiative, DTFI. Remember, you can donate to DTFI directly or subscribe to Tangle. 
with links in today's episode description. And I will donate 100% of all new Tangle subscriptions we get in the next 24 hours to DTFI. All the funds donated as part of our Giving Tuesday push will go to Feeding the Hungry in Philadelphia and helping support a job training program that they are getting off the ground. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Happy Giving Tuesday. We will be right back here same time tomorrow. Have a good one. Peace. Our podcast is written by me, Isaac Saul, and edited and produced by Trevor Eichhorn. Our script is edited by Ari Weitzman, Sean Brady, and Bailey Saul. Shout out to our interns, Audrey Moorhead and Watkins Kelly, and our social media manager, Magdalena Bakova, who designed our logo. Music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more from Tangle, subscribe to our newsletter or check out our website at www.readtangle.com. Tangle.